so much. Wonderfully read, as always. Um, just say hi to the person next to you for a second whilst I work out how to do this. John has set us up with um, a series uh, looking at the life of uh, David, of King David. We've heard that reading that uh, Adam so excellently read to us. And uh, we're going to look at the second half of 1 Samuel. And we're going to look at some of the, um, the sort of really dramatic stories that happen between uh, the time that Saul, King Saul, is rejected as king and David is anointed as king. And what happens in the midst of all that is that David bursts onto the scene, chosen by God and by Samuel uh, to be the next king. Um, but Saul is still king. And there's this, there's this kind of um, this, this tricky transitional time when David's identity and his calling is tested. And it's shaped by his conflict with Saul. And, um, and, and so during this series, what we want to explore is, is how we're able to respond in godly ways to confusion and hostility, and how that sharpens the call and identity that we each have. Okay, so we're going to look at a few different stories. Um, and, and the wonderful thing about all these stories is that there's so much mess in the middle of these stories, you know. And um, if your life is anything like mine, it, it gets a little messy at times, you know. And, and yet, God's kingdom is still breaking in and breaking through in the midst of the mess of this story. So um, so we're going to have a little look today at this, the, the first sort of story, the first moment uh, in this story. But I just want to set the scene because um, this is the first of, of the series of where this kind of fits in the biblical narrative. I know some of us will know this uh, really well, but uh, other, others of us might be a little bit unsure about where, where this story fits in in terms of the biblical uh, history. So really quickly, um, if, we, if we start from Genesis... Uh, we're not going to start there, but Genesis, uh, Adam and Eve, you know, it all begins with them. We have some other characters that turn up in the story. So we've got Noah, uh, we've got the story of Joseph, who ends up in Egypt. We've got the story of Moses, we've got the story of Abraham in the middle of all, in the middle of, all of that. But when we get to Moses, um, Moses is given this task by God 
Um, and he's given this task to, to set God's people free from Egypt. God's going to use Moses to leverage God's people out of Egypt. And, and Moses sees some amazing things. I was with the, the launch community on, on Thursday uh, uh, up at um, Park Life in Heavertree. And we were talking about all the things that Moses saw in his life. From, you know, from his burning bush that spoke to him, that you know, called his name out of a burning bush, you know, through to the plagues. Uh, these pl like horrific things that happened in front of his eyes in Egypt that loosened Pharaoh's grip. Uh, eventually, and then as they left Egypt, um, do you remember in the story? There's this pillar of fire that comes down from heaven and that leads the people out of Egypt at night, and it turns to a pillar of cloud by day. You know, they saw some incredible things, didn't they? And then the whole nation is gathered on the edge of the Red Sea, and they can't go through, and they watch as God breathes on the on the water and separates it, and they walk through on dry land. They see some amazing things. And Moses leads these people, he's, he's leading them to what's, what's known as the promised land, this place where God's people are going to be experiencing what it's like to be in God's place and know God's blessing. That's where Moses is taking them, to a place where they're going to, they're going to know what it's like to be in God's place and experience God's blessing. That's what the promised land is all about. And, and Moses doesn't get to take them there, but Joshua, in the end, leads them across this kind of threshold into the promised land. You know, they, they march around the walls of Jericho. You heard that story? That's Joshua who leads them into, into that place. And Joshua helps them settle in the promised land. And, and at that point, things shift in the biblical narrative. So you have this kind of like, this era of the judges uh, that sort of um, that, that starts. So these people, the judges, uh, if you read the book of Judges in the, uh, in the Old Testament, you get these characters that pop up. And for a, for a time, they're anointed to lead God's people into God's presence in a deeper way. They, they, they turn, often turn God's people around from heading in the wrong direction and set them again on the right, in the right direction. So the judges, you might know uh, Gideon, Samson, Deborah. And then the, the sort of last judge, who's also incredibly, like, he's known as a, as a prophet really, is a guy called Samuel. And Samuel is the start of our story here. So Samuel is the person who's anointing David in this, in this moment. And Samuel's already anointed Saul as king. And, and the process by which that happened was that the, the people of God wanted a king. They were like, everyone else around us has got a king. We want a king too, so that we look, we look, we fit in with all the other nations. And God was like, you don't want a king. You don't want a king because a king will... Uh, will inflict their rule and reign on you. They're, you know, they'll, have, they'll inflict their power on you, and you won't enjoy it, you won't like it. But the people cry out again and again, we want a king, we want a king, we want a king. And eventually God says, okay, you can have a king. Saul becomes king. And in this moment that we're reading today, uh, what we read about is that, um, is that Samuel, is, uh, Samuel is, is basically mourning the fact that God has rejected Saul as king. So why has God rejected Saul as king? If you read the chapter earlier, chapter 15, it says, it says this, The word of the Lord came to Samuel, and God says, I regret that I've made Saul king because he's turned away from me and not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and cried out to the Lord all that night. And early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel, this other place. And there he has set up a monument in his own honour and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. So what happens with this king, the first king of Israel, 
is that he basically gets too into himself. He, he, he is all, it becomes about him and his rule and his reign and his name and his fame and what he can achieve. And because his life starts sort of looking so inwardly on, on, on itself, not on God and what God's doing, God's instruction, it, it just starts to lead people in the wrong direction. And he starts to think that his, his ways are above God's ways. And so God says, no, no, no. And he's rejected. And, and in this moment, we see it, we see it play out. It says in verse 1 that Adam read for us, How long will you mourn for Saul? This is God speaking to Samuel. Since I have rejected him as king over Israel. And then God gives him this instruction. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. And it's weird, isn't it? After Christmas time, we've ended up back at Bethlehem. And, uh, and revisiting why Jesus, why it was such a big deal for Jesus to be born there, and why Joseph and Mary were there in the first place. Joseph and Mary are descendants of this family of Jesse and of David. A thousand years later, Jesus is going to be born in this place where this is happening, what we're that we're reading about today. And the Hebrew word here, here where... Um, where God says, I have chosen one of his sons to be king. The, the Hebrew word, it, you can't, it, it's hard to kind of encapsulate it, but it, it basically means, um, it, it doesn't mean I've chosen one of his sons to be king. It literally means, I have seen for myself a king among Jesse's sons. That's what God's saying here. I've seen for myself a king among Jesse's sons. And Samuel's given instructions to take this young cow, and to kind of have this sacrifice and invite Jesse and his family. And then God says to him in verse 2, I'm going to show you what to do. You're to anoint the one that I indicate. And at the sacrifice, we hear about these sons, don't we? Seven sons that pass in front of Samuel. And Samuel thinks straight away, you know, it's clear that this guy Eliab is the obvious choice. And, and you get these amazing words that the Lord speaks into Samuel's ear. That the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Isn't that a good reminder at the beginning of the year? What we're going to focus on this year, what this year is going to be about, what we're going to invest in. The Lord looks at the heart. Jesse calls Abinadab, or however Adam said it. I think it sounded better, your way, Adam. And Shammah, and all the other brothers. And God makes it clear that none of these are the ones that he has seen is a king. And so there's this moment where Samuel asks, like, have you got anything else? You know, it's like um, they've got to the bottom of the celebrations tin, you know, at Christmas. And all that's left is the bounty. <laughs> Does anyone else have that in their house? Does anyone love a bounty? Yes. Okay, okay. <laughs> I feel like I'm in the minority all of a sudden. I apologise to you bounty lovers. What is it that gets left then? Fair point, fair point. Okay, Darren, you make sense. You make sense. This is good. Anyway, okay. Well, it's like, it's like they've got to, you know, they've got to go through all these other, all these other um, sons, and they're like, where, this can't be all, where, you know, none of them are right. And then, uh, and then he says, no, there's, there's one more out in the fields tending the sheep. And, and, um, and as he comes in, the Lord says to uh, Samuel, rise and anoint him. 
this is the one. Now, just think for a minute um, what, what that would have been like for David. So David is not important enough to get invited in to the sacrifice, this special sacred moment. He's the one, who, the youngest one, the least important in his family, who gets sent out to watch the sheep whilst everyone else goes and does this important thing with Samuel, the great prophet, judge that's in their midst. He's so unimportant that he's out watching the sheep. And so he's sitting there, or standing there, whatever he's doing, watching the sheep. And suddenly he gets a word from someone, a messenger of some kind, that this famous prophet, Samuel, has called him in from tending the sheep. And then, when he comes in from tending the sheep, Samuel anoints him to be king over the whole of Israel. Can you imagine what that day was like for David? You know, like... Maybe a bit low, going out to tend the sheep whilst everyone else is having fun. Suddenly, you're made king of, of the whole of Israel. You know, his day gets completely flipped upside down. And suddenly, he, he's, it, he's not got any preparation. There's no, like, he's not the culturally correct person to have this happen to him. But all of a sudden, God gives him an unexpected kingdom assignment. God gives him an unexpected kingdom assignment. God has something for him to do. And I've been thinking about that um, this week as I've been preparing as we start this new year. And I haven't really stopped thinking about the idea of that unexpected kingdom assignment that David gets. And how, I don't know your experience of walking with God and walking in faith, but how sometimes those unexpected kingdom assignments come along when you're least expecting them when you're watching the sheep out in the field, like David, or your version of that, and suddenly, you know God is asking you to do something. And, and I was thinking about it this week, and I was thinking, what would it be like if, as a church family, if all of us were more open this year to an unexpected kingdom assignment? What, what if we were more ready, more looking out for it, <coughs> ready to go when God says, I've got something for you to do. How would we prepare ourselves? What would we look like as a family? Okay, so I've got three, three quick things to say. Three, three things I think, if we want to be a family who are ready for that unexpected assignment, that firstly, we should be a family who are listening for God's voice. Listening to God's voice. John 10 verse 27 says this, my sheep Listen to my voice. This is Jesus talking. I know them and they follow me. My sheep listen to my voice and they follow me. And I, I don't know about you, but I've been reflecting, you know, as we come to the end of one year and into another, how noisy my world is, how much noise there is going on in my life. We have three children at home. It's noisy in the house. This morning... I had my noise-cancelling headphones on in my office, and I could still hear the music uh, that was being played in the lounge at 8.34 a.m. And I had to go and ask them to turn it down because our, our neighbours were going to um, definitely knock on the door. You know, life is noisy, isn't it? We've got demands on us. We've got things, expectations, jobs, families, commitments, friends. In, you know, things that we're doing with our lives and life feels really, really noisy. And I just want to ask you, and I'm asking me this as well at the beginning of the year, what is something 
<clears throat> this year? What is something this year that is going to help me listen and tune into the voice of God a little bit more? What, what if we decided, we all decided, that there's something we're going to tune out of this year that distracts us from God's voice? What would it be for you? Something that, that you're going to tune out of that distracts you from hearing or listening or spending time listening to the voice of God? And, and maybe, is there one thing you could tune into that would help you a little better to tune into the voice of God? I've got lots of friends uh, this year. We spent news with some friends. And um, uh, he does the Bible in one year, every year. Every year he does the Bible in one year. And I'm like, I, I'm looking at his name's Simon. I'm thinking, Simon, you're amazing. You read, this, you read it every year the, through the Bible in one year app. But he's listening in to what God is saying. What one thing could you do that would help you listen a little better this year? To help you tune in. I have heard a story recently uh, about Martin Luther King. He's one of my absolute heroes. And apparently Martin Luther King, during some of the worst uh, times of his life, uh, he was receiving uh, phone calls threatening to blow out his brains and blow up his house during the Montgomery bus boycott. And one night, apparently, Martin Luther King was so overcome with fear and concern and worry that he couldn't sleep. And so he goes downstairs into his kitchen on his own in the middle of the night and he makes himself a cup, a cup of coffee. And he sits at the table drinking this cup of coffee. And in that moment, he's basically asking God, like asking the question, God, can I, can I do this? Can I do what you've called me to do? Can I be who you've called me to be? Considering the danger that my family are in. And, and later he wrote this, that it was at that very moment, he says, I could hear an inner voice saying to me, Martin Luther, stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. And lo, I will be with you even until the end of the world. It was in that moment, with a coffee cup in his hand in his kitchen, that he was listening to the voice of God. And, and I heard someone tell that story, and they asked the question afterwards, which I thought was really good. They said, do you know what? If that had been me in these days, I might well have been on my phone instead of listening to the voice of God in that moment. I might well have been distracted by something of the other noise that's going on in my life rather than tuning into what God was saying to me in that moment. Don't miss out on a moment like that. Number two. So let's be a family who are listening to the voice of God, who are finding ways to listen in. And let's be a family who are willing to leave what is comfortable. David was willing to come in from the fields, wasn't he? That's what he knew. That's what he was, he, his life, um, you know, that's, that was the normal thing that he was doing with his life. And he, he was willing to come in to leave what he knew and to, to take up this new assignment. And, and the Bible is full, isn't it, of people who are willing to do that, who are willing to leave what they knew, what was comfortable, in order to take up something new. If, if you think about, uh, one, one of my favourite stories is the, the story of the lame man who gets brought to Jesus and, and people rip off the roof. You know that story? in the Gospels, where, where there's a queue of people or a big group outside this house where Jesus is and they can't get into the house and so they climb up on top of the house and they rip the roof off and lower this man through. You know, they were willing to leave what was comfortable and normal in order to see something else happen. One of my other favourite stories in the, uh, in the Gospels is the story of Bartimaeus. <laughs> You know, Bartimaeus, the blind man, sits by the side of the road. 
and he hears about Jesus coming, coming along and he calls out to Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He gets shut down. He's like, no, no, he's not interested in you. He's not interested in you. And then all of a sudden, Jesus turns and says, bring him to me. Get him to come to me. And Bartimaeus leaves the roadside. He leaves where he's been sat for however long. He gets up and he walks to Jesus. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus says, I want to see. And he receives a sight in that moment. He leaves what's comfortable in that moment to receive something more. A little while ago, uh, I, I worked for another church and we were reading this book about moving more in the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, every week in our staff meeting, people would come and bring a story about how they were uh, stepping out in that kind of stuff. Praying for someone or giving someone a little prophetic word or something, something like that. And every week I was hearing these stories and thinking, wow, this is amazing, this is great. But I haven't got a story to share. Uh, did anyone else ever feel like that? It's like everyone else has got a story to share. I haven't got a story to share. And I'm thinking, is it just me? Am I missing these opportunities here? Am I just scared? What is it? And I think secretly underneath, I was sort of praying, I, I hope I don't have an opportunity, you know, because this is going to cost me something if, if, if I do, you know, have to step out. Um, but there came this moment where um, I was... Uh, I can't remember what I'd done, but I was buying tabby flowers in Sainsbury's, okay? Yes. Um, probably I'd done something stupid, and I was wanting to apologise for, uh, for, for what I'd done. But I remember buying her flowers, and like a, a nice, I think it was some chocolates or a magazine or something, anyway. I came out of Sainsbury's in Watford, where we lived. Grotty Watty. And uh, I came out of Sainsbury's, and I remember, uh, as I came out holding these flowers and this thing, on my left... I saw this elderly lady, and she was just sat on the bench with some bags of sh uh, shopping in a trolley, and she just looked really sad. And um, I remember just sort of walking on, and uh, this little nudge in my spirit was just like, Bob, give her the flowers. Uh, I, I just remember feeling like I should give you the flowers. I should give that lady the flowers. And then I put the flowers in the car, and I shut the door, and I got into the driving seat, and I just thought, hang on. What is, what's this lady going to do to me if I give her flowers, you know? The worst she could probably do is hit me or, you know, whatever, <laughs> scream or something. And, you know, I'd look silly. And then, you know, what, what's, what's going to happen? So I was like, all right, God, if this is you, this might not be you, but this, if this is you, uh, as I go over, I need something else to say to her. Can you give me something to say to her? Like some kind of, like, prophetic word or a little just nudge or an encouragement or something, whatever it is. So I'm walking over to this lady that's get out of the car with the flowers. And she sees me coming. And I walk over to this lady, and uh, I just feel like God say to me, tell her she's not forgotten. That's the thing you've got to say to her. Tell her you've not, she's not forgotten. I don't know where that came from, but I was just like, okay, I'll tell her she's not forgotten. And that God remembers her. That, that was it. You're not forgotten, God remembers you. Anyway, so I sat down next to this lady really awkwardly on the bench. <laughs> and I like, look at her, <laughs> these flowers, and I'm like, introduce myself. Hi, Bob. She's Margaret. And I just said to her, hey, I'm, I'm a Christian. I... I felt like God told me to give you these flowers. I know it's strange, but I also felt him tell me to tell you that you're, you're not forgotten, you're, you're, that he remembers you. And, um, and as I did, she burst into tears. And, um, and she said to me, after she sort of like brought herself around, she said, I've just come straight from the hospital here, 
because um, there's no food in my house. I've been in hospital for two weeks, and I was just here sitting, to my, sitting here thinking to myself, isn't it so sad? No one came to visit me in those two weeks in hospital, and nobody bought me flowers. And it was like, for me, <clears throat> for me, it was the most amazing moment of thinking like, flip. It's that, it's that simple sometimes, but you have, to, you have to be willing to leave what's comfortable and to look sometimes like you're a complete idiot. You know, like you might, she might hit me with this, you know, shopping or whatever, or something might happen, but God might be in it. And if God's in it, then there's something good's going to happen. And God was in that moment, I could tell. I, I knew he was in that moment. And there have been many, many other stories I could tell you of where I got that completely wrong. Or I was not brave enough to go and do the thing I felt God was calling me to do in that moment. But I just tell you that one to encourage you. Sometimes when God gives you a little kingdom assignment, it, it means you've got to be tuned in to listen to his voice. But you also got to leave what you know. Leave what's comfortable. And, go, and just go for it. And, and, and the third thing is this. We've got to be, as a family, we've got to be people who are willing to step into God's invitation. It's not just about leaving what you know, it's about stepping into something else, isn't it? Yeah? It's not just leaving what you know, it's stepping into something else. David, in this moment, he's willing, even though he doesn't know what it means or how it can be possible or anything else, he's willing to say yes in this moment to step into this thing that's going to happen, uh, that he's going to be king. And, and I love here, this, the, do you know the thing about anointing in the, in the Bible, right? Anointing. Uh, when it happens in the Bible, is that there's, a, there's an oil that um, is made out of sort of fragrant plants and spices, and it makes this sort of rich oil. But throughout the scriptures, um, so people are, or, or it's, it's like a symbol, a liquid symbol of God's spirit and water combined together to mark a person or a place as a bridge between heaven and earth. <coughs> That's what anointing is. When, when, when someone's anointed in the scriptures, or somewhere's anointed, it's to signify this place is a bridge, or this person is a bridge between heaven and earth. You know, in the, in the, um, we talked about Moses earlier, and Moses had this tabernacle, this like, tent of meeting, and, um, and, and, and it would be where Moses would go to meet with God, and God would meet with him, and they, they'd have these conversations, and God would teach you know, tell Moses what he wanted to do. And they anointed that tent with oil. They anointed it as a place where heaven and earth would meet. You know, Jacob has this dream about a ladder going up to heaven and he sees all, all these kind of things. He, he anoints that place with oil as a place where heaven and, and earth meet. And then Israel, you know, this group of people, the, the priests and the kings, they were anointed with oil to set them apart as leaders, to be people who brought heaven to earth through their rule. That's why they were anointed, to be people who were a bridge between heaven and earth. You know, and Jesus Christ, Christ means anointed one. Jesus is heaven coming to earth. He's not just a bridge between heaven. He is heaven coming to earth. He's anointed. It's all about heaven coming to earth. And I love this verse in, in Colossians, it's going to come up on the screen behind me, where Paul writes this, he says, I've become its servant, he's talking about the good news, that God gave me to present to you the word of God in all its fullness, the mystery that's been kept hidden for, the, for ages and generations, but now disclosed to the Lord's people. 
To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That Christ Jesus has come to live in us, you and me, the anointed one in us. Heaven can come to earth through you and me. Isn't that an amazing thing? We receive the Holy Spirit when we come to faith. And we're anointed to bring heaven to earth, to be bridges between heaven and earth. That's our purpose as Christians, anointed ones who follow the anointed one. That's, that's what we're about, bringing heaven to earth. And so I just want to encourage us at the start of this year that, that this, is our, this is what we're about. This is what, you know, as a family, we long to see heaven come to earth. That's like our, you know, that's the strap line of the church. We want to see heaven on earth. On earth is in heaven, even. That way around. Are you ready for a kingdom assignment this year? Are we ready to say yes? Are we ready to listen? Are we ready to leave what we know is comfortable? Are we ready to step into an invitation that God gives us? It says this at the end of that, chapter, uh, end of that bit that we read. Verse 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. That, that word, where the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David, David, in the Hebrew, it literally means the Spirit of God rushed through David. Isn't that cool? That from that moment on, the Spirit of God rushed through David. Now, I, I want to be, this year, more and more, uh, someone who the Spirit of God rushes through into the world around me. And I just want to encourage us as a family, let's... Let's get up for this. Let's, God, yeah, I'm, I'm here. I'm ready. I, I want whatever's next for me in this journey. And I'm ready for a kingdom assignment when it comes my way. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, why don't we stand? And we're going to pray. Andy and the band are going to lead us to the song in a second, but let's just invite the Holy Spirit to come and just uh, highlight something that he's been saying to you today. Father, we just invite you now by your Spirit. Lord, come and Lord, set our hearts on fire again with love for you. Lord, with hunger and passion and desire amongst all the other things in our lives going on, all the other draws and drains of energy, Lord. We want to be a people who have our eyes fixed on you. And who are saying yes to you for whatever you're calling us to. God, would you open our ears this year as a church, as a family. Lord, would we hear your voice like never before? Lord, would you give us courage to leave things that we know that are familiar to us, the ways we've always done things, and Lord, would you give us a Holy Spirit boldness to be your anointed ones, to step into the invitations that you bring our way and to see heaven come to earth. Now to the band, I'm going to lead us in a song. It's one Andy's written. It, might be familiar to some of us or not, but let's, 
as we look at the words, as we use it just to kind of respond, let's just be asking the Lord, where, where is it for me? Who is it for me? That you're like stirring up a hunger for a fresh kingdom of sound this year. Come, Holy Spirit. Yeah. 
you, um, would you just make yourselves available around here? Is that okay? Just come and grab a lanyard. Um, I don't know what, what it will be for each of us that um, the Lord's just highlighting in these moments, but just feel like for some of us today, you just at the start of the year, there's one of those three things might have just really touched a nerve. You might feel like, God, I just want to hear you better. I want to be less stuck in my old patterns or routines, or I want to just, I'll just run after you, or just say yes to what you're asking me to do. If one of those things is just hitting a nerve today, just come and have one of these guys pray for you. Um, ask them, like, would, they just, would you just pray the Holy Spirit, just come and breathe, rush through you in that area of your life. And um, just, I just had a, a sense uh, during the week, there was someone here for whom um, there's a passage in Ezekiel about dry bones coming back to life. And for you, that, that, that passage is really deeply significant. And there's something about it, like it, it's, it's a new thing. There's a new thing that you think God wants to do, um, maybe through you or with you, or that you're a part of seeing happen. And if that's you, just want to encourage you just to come and, uh, come and have someone pray with you. I think Sam's got a word as well. Sure. So um, I have a feeling that there's someone who's having real difficulty with a teenage, young adult child in your family. And it's like there's a really, there's like a communication breakdown and you don't feel you can get through to them. And when you look at one another, it's like you're looking at, you feel like your child feels like you're an alien and you feel like you're an alien. 